I want to uh, shift a little bit into our teaching time, and I want to uh, talk with you a little bit about the topic of lament. And I believe that, that that's one of the great challenges that we're seeing in the life of the church, capital C, today, is that uh, some of the spiritual malformations that we're experiencing is, is that we have lost the, the practice of spiritual lament. Here's what I mean by that. You know, we kind of go out into the world trying to project that everything is okay in life. We want our friends to think that our life is perfect. We want them to, to believe that we have like no struggles, no problems, no issues that we're faced with. We want them to know that, that our families are fully functional and there's no dysfunctions that are there. Why do we do that? Because that's kind of what the world wants us to do. But you know, every time you and I do that, every time we kind of lead into that lie a little bit, um, what we're doing is we're not really projecting the foundation of what our faith is. Because let me, let me share with you, you know, pastors, Christians, we all, we all have challenges. We all have stuff, right? We all have things that, that bother us and, and doubts and, and questions that come up. So it's okay to have that. And uh, that's what lament gives us the opportunity to do. It gives us a chance to rediscover when things aren't going well in our life or when, when we're saddled with things that we can cry out to God and God will help. Last week as we began this series, I shared with you a, a real quick definition of lament. Lament means to, to cry out as if you're mourning, as if you're grieving over the death of somebody. To lament means that, that you see a social injustice that's happening in the world, and it just throttles the inside of you because you know that it's not right, and you cry out to God for God to be the one to come and to, to make all things right again. We also know that lament means to, to protest against, to, to speak out of, or to complain about something. Um, did you know that the Psalms are not only, are not only are a compilation of wisdom literature books that, that talk about the good uh, spiritual things of life, but of the 150 Psalms, one-third of them, so 50 of those Psalms actually are what we call laments. There are ways in which believers and people who are geared and, 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 and grounded in God know that life brings challenges and they cry out to God. In fact, David, the man after God's own heart, as many Christians would say today as we've learned, as we've read through the scriptures, David was notorious for crying out to God in the midst of his pain. Remember Jesus? Uh, Jesus on the cross crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was Psalm 22. And, and so we know that, that crying out to God is a part of who we are, and that's a spiritual practice that we're trying to resurrect in, in, in our lives here. So what does a believer do? What does a believer do when, when things aren't going right? What does a believer do when, when, when life just isn't dealing the believer something that they can cope with, something that, that they can actually um, hold on to, something that is, that is just kind of tearing them apart? How do we express our feelings? Well, we express them through lament. And the way we do that is we cry out to God knowing that we are not alone. We learned that last week, that with God in lamenting, there is always hope. And God says that we are never alone. God never abandons us. God never leaves us. God is always there. So when we cry out, we know that God is hearing what we're having to say. And this is why the lament is so important because if we kind of went through life and we kind of pushed that aside and we told people, well, I have enough faith that I don't ever have to have a doubt or I have enough faith that I'm never going to be scared or I have enough faith that, that my trust is grounded, you know what? We're kind of taking away the, the sovereign power of God per se in our, in our saying that because what we're saying is that it's all about us. And what we're not recognizing is the sovereignty of God's power, that when we are weak, when we fall, when we don't have that, we know we can turn to a sovereign, powerful God who does have it. And therefore, we live a life built upon that foundation. One of the things I'd love for us to do is, is to learn um, how to practice this. 
how to practice what it means to lament, what it means to, to call out a broken world. You know, some of us, we, we look at uh, our, own, our own life sometimes and we think our life is a little bit wishy-washy, or maybe we're not as dedicated to something as we thought, or maybe we think more of ourselves than we really should. We have so many things and, and systematic things that are, that are happening to us that, that we should be lamenting over. We see injustices in the world. We see sin in the world. We see things like racism and classism. We see ageism. We see sexism. We see all of those sinful things in the world, and, and it breaks our heart. And when we lament, we are calling out to God in the midst of our brokenness and our pain, and we're calling upon God to do something about the challenges of the things that we see. Through our lament, we're actually clinging to that hope that God not only hears, but God will react, and God will come and definitely make all things new. Um, lament is, is something that, that happens deeply inside of us. Think about um, a, a situation in your life where something externally, something beyond your control has impacted you. So you, you know, let's just take a look at some of the images we've seen on the television recently over the last couple of weeks. We're seeing things that may not impact us personally, but from an external point of view, it is impacting us. So it's these external impacts that, that cause us to stir within our hearts, and it stirs something internally. And when that internal um, wrestling match happens, per se, then our own brokenness comes to the forefront, and we realize that a problem is, is actually there. And, and, and what we understand is that then that, which is an external thing, affects our, our internal peace, which then affects who we are as individuals. This is why lament is so important and why I want to talk about it, because as Christians, we need to know how to deal with that and how to cry out to God and how to know that God hears our prayers. But, but let, me, let me take a step back for a second, because it's really important to understand that there's a difference between lamenting and grumbling, okay? Say the word lament. Say the word grumble. Okay, there is a difference that's there. So, so let's, let's look at a couple of these. A, a lamentation is that we're making a request, a grumble is where we're making an accusation. So when I'm lamenting, when I'm crying out to God, I'm making a request, and I'm usually making the request of God for God to do something or God to act. When I'm grumbling, I'm accusing somebody for something that they have done to me. So King David talks about in, in, in one of his Psalms, he, he talks about his loneliness, and he's crying out to God. He says, open your ears, God, to my prayer. So, he, so he's sensing that God's not hearing his prayer. And he says, don't pretend you don't hear me knocking, but come closer and whisper your answer. Then David says these words, I really need you, Lord. That's a lament. A, a grumble is something we would see like in Exodus 17, where Moses has led the people of Israel out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt, and he has taken them into the desert, and they're on this pilgrimage to the promised land that God has. And all of a sudden, the people don't like Moses anymore. And, and so here's a grumble. But the people were thirsty for water, and they complained to Moses. So it's not like we're lamenting and brokenhearted to God. They're complaining. They're accusing Moses. And they said to Moses, why did you, Moses, take us out of, of Egypt and drag us out here where our children and our animals are going to die? So do you see the difference between a lament and, and also a grumble? Here, here's another one here. A lamentation is filled with sorrow. Grumbling is filled with anger. So, so when we lament, there's a brokenness that's inside of us. There's, a, there's something that's going on, it's stirring up in us, that, that we are sad, that we are brokenhearted. It, it affects our souls. 
and we cry out to God. You know, Jeremiah, one of the great prophets, he lived in a time when, when God's people of Israel were, were basically taken into captivity in Babylon. That's where we learn the stories of Daniel and some of the other great prophets. And, and Jeremiah is weeping. He's known as the weeping prophet. He's weeping because of this sad thing that's happening. And it says here in, in chapter 31, verse 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. So he's weeping bitterness. He's broken because of what's happening. Rachel is weeping for her children. Rachel's children are taken into captivity. They're, they're, they're killed. They're, 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 they're harmed. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So do you sense the, the, the sense of sorrow that comes out with that? And we go back to Exodus 17 again, that grumbling. Moses, why did you bring us out in the desert to die? Because of you, Moses, we're not doing well at all. So there's a difference. There's no sorrow in that. There's nothing but anger in that. We also know lamentation uh, is, is repentant. And grumbling is self-righteous. Now, what, what does it mean by to be repentant? Repentant means that, that, that God has a life of holiness for us, and we talk about that, that God wants us to walk in his ways. He is holy, so therefore he calls us to be holy. And what that means is that we call upon, God calls upon us to take on the character of God, to be Jesus in the world, to understand in a sense of living through Jesus' righteousness, through Jesus' goodness, that we want to be like Jesus, but sometimes we're not, are we? Because we commit something called a sin. A sin means that we miss the mark. We are no longer on the path walking toward the way of which God has. So therefore, repentance means to change direction. So therefore, I'm now moving in the wrong direction because of sin. And God says, repent, I must change direction to get back on the path of God. So that's what lamentation is. Lamentation is often repentant. And what that means is, is we read in the Old Testament and we read in the days of Jesus that what they would do is they would take off their, their clothes that they wore and they would put on sackcloth, like, like uh, bags that carry around potatoes and stuff like that, like really poor and tattered stuff. And they would heap ashes on their head and they would get on their knees and they would fall prostrate on the ground and they would cry out to God because of their brokenness that they don't want to be missing the mark. And that's what it means to be lamenting with a repentant heart. But then we see that, that grumbling is self-righteous. What is self-righteous? Self-righteous means that you, you're right no matter what. It doesn't no matter what you do. You've got all the answers. You've got all the things. Everything's, it's all about you. You're self-righteous. And we learn in the New Testament book, Jude 16, he says, these are the grumpers. I love this translation through the message. These are the grumpers, the bellyachers, grabbing for the biggest piece of the pie talking big, saying anything that they think which will get them ahead. That's what a self-righteous person does. That's what grumbling is. That's not at all what lamentations are. So, this, so that's the difference between the two, and I hope that you're connecting with that because, because as we traverse into Psalm 55, it's important for us to know why David, King David, is saying the words that he's saying as he's dealing with his lamentation to God. So, so what we find out is that there's a lot of hurt in King David's life. There's a lot that's not going right in his life. And David's opening words in this psalm are, hear my prayer, O God, don't turn away from my plea. So you already get the fact that, that he's crying out to God. He says, listen to me and answer me. I'm worn out by my worries. Have you ever been worn out by your worries? Have you ever just felt like you know, the weight of the world is on you. This is where David is. He says, I'm terrified by the threats of my enemies. I'm crushed by the oppression of the wicked. 
They bring trouble on me. They are angry with me, and they hate me. If we're going to understand the context of what David is writing and why in Psalm 55, we'd actually have to go to, to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And there is a, that's a book in the Old Testament where, where, where we find out more about the life of, of King David. And what we find out is, is that David is now in a fractured relationship with his son Absalom. Why is he in a fractured relationship with his, Absalom, with his son Absalom? David also had a daughter, and his daughter becomes terribly abused, and, and David does nothing about it. And, and Absalom, he's angry, he's upset, he's hurt that his father won't do anything to protect his own daughter, protect Absalom's sister. And he goes to the king, and David just turns a blind eye, and he won't address it, he just ignores it. And the anger burns within Absalom, and Absalom begins to plot a way to hurt his father. And the way that he's going to hurt his father is he's going to turn the kingdom against the king. So what does Absalom do? Absalom goes uh, to the city gates because every day people made it a habit to come in droves to stand before the king to offer their grievances or to seek advice and to seek wisdom. And David's role was to, was to provide that for them. And Absalom met them before they got to the palace and, and he was loving on them and he was learning all their names and he was learning their stories day after day after day. And he built a huge way of trust and now all of a sudden, the people were trusting Absalom more than they were the king. And therefore, now Absalom is starting to think, now what I'm going to do to hurt my father is I'm going to actually get him off of the throne. I'm going to commit a coup. And then to bring tragedy, more tragedy into David's life, one of David's trusted guards and one of his best friends ends up seeing what's going on in the king's inaction, and he sides with Absalom, and he pulls away from David. If you've ever had a friend do that, if you've ever had a friend who, who's just pulled away from you and has gone into a different direction, you know that that breaks your heart. And that's why David is crying out to God in these, in these words as he's calling upon that. And all of a sudden, Absalom gets to the point where he's going to challenge David himself on the throne, and he's going to do whatever it takes to take the throne away from his father. You know, when, when we're hurting... When we're, when we're in that time or that place of pain, we often wonder who's the enemy. Have you ever been in such a perplexing place in your life that all of a sudden you feel like everybody's against you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you felt like, you know, it's, it's the outside world or maybe it's, it's people around me or maybe it's people internally to me and you begin to start seeing everybody as your enemy and then all of a sudden your actions and your ways and your words and the things that you do are not very healthy at all, are they? Because you see the world is out to get you. Sometimes we see ourselves as the enemy, that we think that, that it's our own fleshiness, it's our own sin that has come back into our life and, and resurrected itself. And we struggle with that and we battle with that. So not only are we battling with people outside of us, but we're battling within. And we have this internal turmoil. The Apostle Paul reminds us that, that, that the enemy comes in so many ways, but he says that, that the greatest enemy that we have to be weary of is not of this world, but it is of the spiritual realm. And Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, we are not fighting against human beings, but we're fighting against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. So sometimes we've got to identify who is or what is the real enemy that is bringing the pain into our life. 
So as we continue in Psalm 55, we're, we're looking about how, how David is actually handling these things. And I encourage you to read this whole psalm um, after today and meditate it on the week and see the transitions of the, of the story in the life of David. David is feeling all of these external resources and forces coming against him, and his life is in total turmoil. He says, I'm terrified, and the terrors of death crush me. He says, I'm, I'm gripped by fear, and I'm trembling. I'm overcome with horror. Now, note the words that I've underlined in the scripture. I underline terrified and crush and fear and trembling and horror. These are some significant words that David is crying out. And I think many of us, we can, we can sense that in our own life when we've had fear or where we've been terrified or, or where we have felt that we are being crushed and we're trembling in horror and all these things that are there. But David, David is talking about how bad his life is, and he recognizes that. And he talks about this terror, this terror that keeps him awake at night, this terror that is crushing him. So David's describing exactly how he feels, and, and he's going on in this psalm that he's felt betrayed, and he's, he's felt feeling threatened, and, and he's feeling the reality of losing his kingdom, losing his son, losing his friend, losing everything. And that his life won't matter anymore. You know, I think of this often, and, and, and it's, it's funny because, guys, if we would just go to the Scriptures and learn, if we would just go to the Scriptures and understand that, that, that what happens to us has been happening to God's people all since the beginning, and we can learn we can learn when we read the stories of Scripture and we, we can understand how did this person handle it or how did that person handle it? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? And how did they hold on to their faith? Well, David moves through this and, and all of a sudden he's feeling you know, overwhelmed by everything that's on him. And, and listen to what he says. He says, I wish I had wings like, like a dove. I would fly away and I would find rest. I would fly far away and make, make far away home the desert Make the desert my home, he says. I would quickly find myself a shelter from the raging wind and the storm. Is this making any sense? I mean, what's David doing? David is enacting something that you and I enact all the time. In fact, you know what I'm getting to. It's fight or flight. And so often when things are not going well for us, we don't stay in and fight. We fly. We want out of it. We want to put our head in the sand. We want to avoid it. We don't want to acknowledge. We don't want to name it. We just would rather not deal with the conflict and just, just push it beside. And meanwhile, the world around us is caving in. So David wants to run away from all of these things. You see, sometimes we think that we can solve the big problems that are happening in our life. And, and sometimes big problems start off very small. And because we don't deal with it, they become larger and larger and larger, don't they? And there ultimately comes a point when, when our small problems become so large, what do we do? We can't do it on our own. We cry out to Jesus because Jesus mends our broken hearts. We learn wisdom. We learn life. We learn how to, to deal with the challenges and to negotiate life from the Lord himself. And the Lord gives us the ability to know what to do. When we run to God with our problems, we say, problem, I have a big God. And we know that God can resolve the problems in which we have. So David learns this and he reminds himself. Last week I told you that one of the things that, that, that David remembered was, was he, he and Jeremiah and the others, they could always recall how God has been faithful in their life. So David begins to recall and he says this. He says, I'll call to God. God will help me. 
And at dusk and at dawn and at noon, I, I, I sigh deep sighs, but he, God, hears. He, God, God rescues. My life will well and my whole secure in the middle of the danger, even while thousands are lined against me. David no longer sees the need to fly. He doesn't see flight as the answer. He knows that with God, he can confront whatever it is that is standing in his way, whatever is causing his life to tremble, whatever is bringing terror, whatever is bringing fear, whatever is being crushing and perplexing, with God, he can do this. One of the things I know in the midst of, of crying out to God is, is that, that we need to know that we can do that. You know, I know people like you know people. You say to them that, that, I'm, that I'm feeling like, like I'm being tested or I'm feeling, you know, overwhelmed by what's happening in my life or in my word. And, and God loved these people, but they just have it wrong. They'll just come back to you and say, well, if you had more faith, then you don't need to worry about that. They've got it all wrong. Jesus cried out from the cross, Psalm 22, the, the, the psalm of dereliction. My God, my God, Jesus felt the pain. Jesus himself called out. So don't let anybody ever tell you that calling out and crying out to God is nonsense. It's not. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to, to be helped. God wants to come alongside. Let me give you three things to walk away with as you lament. And these are three things. If you, don't, if you didn't hear anything else we talked about today, please take away these three things. First of all is, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. You know, we, we hear things like, you know, big girls don't cry, that song by Neil Sedaka. You know, Tom Hanks, baseball, you don't cry in baseball. Well, that sounded more like uh, the guy that used to do the Aflac or whatever. But anyway, and then, then you'd have, you'd, then you have, you know, the, the expression that, that big boys don't shed tears. You know what? It's, it's a bunch of bunk. Yes, I just said a bunch of bunk in church. It's a bunch of bunk. It's rubbish. God hears these things. God is aware. And to cry is part of the expression that we have. We can also cry out to God and ask God to thwart evil in the world and to, to thwart sin that's happening. You know, we can look at what's going on in the world today, and part of our cry should be, God, we need you to, to stop this sin. We need you to thwart the evil that's going on. And as we cry out to God, as our hearts are breaking, we are lamenting. And we are calling out. So, so if there's things happening in your life and sin has been brought in because of that, or, or if things just aren't right, you can call upon God to ask God to help make that sin stop and so that evil can be done with. Here's the third one. It's okay to be persistent. It's okay to be persistent. You know, a friend told me one time, you only need to pray one prayer to God and you don't have to keep asking because God heard it. And if you're going to keep asking, then, then that just says that you don't have any faith. Again, I'm going to push that aside. I don't believe that. I, I see all throughout the scriptures where, where the saints are crying out to God continuously. And it's okay to be persistent. It's okay to cry out again and again and again. In fact, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we see that, that as the people of God in the first century are under the persecution of the Roman emperor Domitian, we find that, that one of the things that they're doing is they're hiding under the holy altars of the churches and the worship houses. And what, is, what does it say? It says that they're crying out these words, how long, O Lord, how long? How long until God or God's agent will come and stop the suffering, stop the evil that's going on 
and put the world right again. It's okay to be persistent. And God hears every prayer that we give. So it's okay to cry. It's okay to, to also ask God to thwart the sin and evil that's happening in your world. It's okay to be persistent in your prayers of lamentation. And know, no matter what, through all those things, God hears. And the day will come soon where God or God's agent will restore the brokenness into something that's good. Amen?